The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft, She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about some of the privacy that our founding fathers had, some of the secrets that they had when they had slaves and, and lovers that were slaves, and what what that really caused in the black population, the African Americans, and also what happens even nowadays and how it has affected our society. And we've seen the 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 minimization of people of different races and it's coming to a head and I'm so glad that we are able to share this beautiful book with this beautiful woman who's going to talk to us about her new book which is called The Other Madisons The Lost History of a President's Black Family and this was just came out last year and it's just an amazing book. I want to tell you about the author and we're so excited to have her with us this morning. Uh, Betty Kearse was born in Tucson, Arizona, which is where my husband was born, and she grew up in Northern California. She holds a BA in genetics from the University of California at Berkeley, a PhD in biology from New York University, and a medical degree from Case Western uh, University, Case Western Reserve University, and uh, after practicing pediatric medicine in Boston, Massachusetts for 31 years, she retired and she now lives in beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. Then in 1990, she became the griot, the oral historian for her family when her mother brought her the box of family memorabilia. And her mom said to her, I want you to give plenty of time. I want you to give yourself plenty of time to write this book. And the time had come for the story of the African-American family to take its place in recorded history. And to write the book, she traveled around the United States into Ghana, West Africa and Lagos, Portugal. She wrote this book called, as I said before, The Other Madisons, The Last History of a President's Black Family. It is both a personal family history and an homage to millions of silenced, invisible African Americans in recounting the struggles, perseverance, and contributions of eight generations of her own family. It reveals that myriad ways it, it it really reveals a lot about the myriad ways that the african american the africans were enslaved and their descendants were marginalized in or excluded from the dominant narrative of our country 
Her book is an intimate work of narrative nonfiction that discovers, discloses, and embraces a more inclusive and complete American story. So I am so excited, especially with what we have gone through in this last couple of years that are finally, finally bringing all this to the light. And I just am so excited that you're with us, Betty. So thank you for joining us from Tucson. Thank you. Yeah, and you know, a, yeah, go ahead. I just no, was going to say I'm in Santa Fe. What did I say? New Mexico, didn't Tucson. I? Oh, Tucson. Tucson. <laughs> I know. Santa Fe. I know. That's where you were born. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're in Santa Fe, which I love even better. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it even better there. So thank you for correcting me. Okay. No so problem. first I'm of all, so you know this, you know you have this wonderful background, and just it's such a rich coloring. And then, how is it, and when is it that you first learned that you're a descendant of Pre- President Madison? I first learned of her. This is my first memory of learning of it. Was when I was only about five years old, and my mother would make fancy dresses for me, which took forever, <laughs> and I would get fidgety and not stand still while she was trying to hem and sew and pin and sew and whatever. And so to um, calm me down and direct my attention, she would tell me family stories. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I was, I was only about five when I first heard about um, the president and his slave. And so she would continue, you would tell these stories. Did you tell anybody at school or did you tell anybody that I am a descendant of the president of the United States? I mean, did that, did you do that? Well, I, I, I did when I was about five and six, but um, my friends kind of looked at me like I was just strange. You know, how that, that, that's not possible. You know, how could you possibly think that and so I kind of stopped and then of course when I got older I was a teenager and nobody wants to be different right right you know when they're a teenager so I I didn't talk about it much until um oh probably when I was in college and even then I would get kind of skeptical responses like oh oh really (laughs) yeah So is that why it took you 30 years to write the other Madisons? No, it took me 30 years for a number of reasons. One is that um, when I I became the oral historian, the family griot, when my mother turned over to me the old cardboard box that was filled up with family memorabilia, and and when I asked her, why are you giving this box to me now, you know, she said, I want to give you uh, plenty of time to write the book. And what she meant was for me to write down the stories and write the family history, which I did. But the story is so much more. It's my family story, but it's not that unusual from the stories of millions of African-American families. There may not be a president on the family tree, but some of the things that the enslaved people um, experienced were quite common. Yeah, and, and you so, know, yeah, and you know what? It is other presidents too. Obviously, I was telling you that I uh, I lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, for three years with you know, and uh-huh. and read 
all of these memoirs, not memoirs, but biographies of Thomas Jefferson and his lover, Sally Jennings, who was an African, Hemming, Mm -hmm. yeah, Hemming, and she was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, an African American, and all of her children and other slaves that also, um, and the descendants of Thomas Jefferson. So there are many people like you who have who are descendants of, and who know who knows who else of the founding fathers, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. There's there's more than you might think. Right, right. Yeah, there's quite a few, quite a few. Yes, so, and I've I've met a number of them. Oh, you have. But I'm sure there are many, many more. I've met descendants of 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 uh, Hemings and Jefferson. And uh, descendants of uh, uh, George Washington. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And and so why is it uh, so important for you and your family that you wrote this book? I mean, obviously, I think it's really important. But what was your family thinking why it was so important for you to write this book? Because it tells the whole story and, um, you know, brings focus on the enslaved people to let them know, you know, they weren't just pieces of property that were owned by presidents and other well-to-do people. Right. Um, They were human beings who contributed enormously to the greatness of this country, you know, both nationally and internationally. Right. And it's part of the whole story. You know, you don't tell a story and leave out important parts. Right. Right. And I remember going through Thomas Jefferson's home and all of his Mm -hmm. property and seeing that the land and all that was done was really done by his slaves. You know, he could not have had that property and and managed everything that he managed without having all the people that contributed and contributed beautifully to his home. So you're absolutely right. 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 Yeah. So what is it that... Go ahead. No, I was going to say in Madison, without his enslaved people doing all the hard work, the things that need to be done just to get by day by day, you know, just daily life. Um, Without them, he wouldn't have been able to go off to Princeton University and to study the great um, um, political philosophers and come up with the basis for the Constitution that we live by now. Exactly, exactly. So what do you hope that people who read your book, what do you want them to get out of the book? For um, African Americans, especially our young people, I would like them to embrace their slave ancestry and to recognize that they inherited many wonderful qualities uh, from them. You know, like inner strength and a sense of hope and a sense of their humanity and their own um, sort of in, in their own just sense of self. And this could be a way to help combat the 
effects of racism uh, on our young people. You know, it can be a way of letting them know that they have talents, too, that they can develop and con- and contribute. And for other Americans, I hope that the book will point out why we should celebrate the many contributions that uh, enslaved people and their descendants have made through the generations. And really what they've overcome and the community that they formed, you know, that they were able to really not only support their white, quote, masters, but also support each other. You know, so many times the families were broken up from each other. So there'd be the women that are broken up from their husbands and their children and how they, you know, were able to support each other through that really horrific time for them. So, yeah, I think it is a a beautiful story that has to be told about their perseverance and the the inspiration, and a lot uh, had to do with their spirituality as well, right? Oh, yes. The um, enslaved population had a strong sense of community, which started with their African roots, you know, strong sense of community. And in in this country, they adopted and adapted and lived by the beliefs of Christianity, which, you know, was about um, caring about each other and being loved and loving and, um, you know, just, just being supportive. Of, of one another to make it under such harsh conditions. Right, right. Now, um, how is it that you made the decision to give Mandy a voice in this narrative, and, and how how did it feel for you to write as Mandy? Kind of tell us a little bit about Mandy. Well, Mandy was my family's first African ancestor in America, and our first griot, or as I was saying, oral historian. Right. And, you know, she set the foundation for our values and beliefs. And um, I can't say I really made a decision. It just sort of happened. It just sort of felt right to have her speak for herself. Mm. And as I went to places where she had been, I began to feel very close to her. And at some point, I just knew what she wanted me to know and what she wanted me to share. And so I, I never heard voices, but it was just so clear to me as to what she wanted me to um, write on her behalf and in her words. You think you could be reincarnated? <laughs> Mandy reincarnated? Um, I hadn't thought of that before. <laughs> you never know, right? I mean, there, there, there's all sorts of scientific... No, you never risk. know, but I just feel that she's an important part of me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about her journey. Well, she was captured um, off the shore near her village, in Ghana, 
Mm-hmm. While she was playing in the ocean alone because she loved the ocean, the ocean, and she would go there as often as she could, even when she was supposed to be doing her her chores. How old was she? Uh, but it, she was probably a preteen or early teens. Hmm. You know, as far as we can tell, she was maybe twelve, thirteen, fourteen, yeah. at, around there. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah, but somehow she was young, but she survived the Middle Passage, mm. which is just unimaginably horrible with okay. rats and, you know, people dying around you and, oh yeah, you know, starvation and people, anyway, I probably, the smells, the sights, you know. Yeah, seasick and dysentery and... Just everything, yeah. yeah. They didn't treat yeah, them, you know, infections. as hum- they yeah. didn't treat them human humanely when they came across, right? So, yeah. Oh, not at all. No. Not at all. Every effort was made to break them of their sense of humanity. Right. Right. So, so then what? So she made it across, uh, and then and what, yes. and then what happened? Yeah, she made it across, and she ended up in Virginia and was, um, of course, put on an auction block and Uh. sold like a piece of property and then um, taken to Montpelier, which is James Madison Sr.'s plantation in Virginia. Mm. So she was purchased by the president's father. Right. And then she was... Uh, so Montpelier was a huge tobacco plantation, but according to our oral history, there was a small cotton field used to um, make clothing and called, stuff. Yeah, uh, clothing. They called it. They called it Negro cloth. Mm. So it was for the, um, the enslaved people to make their their own clothing. So she was put on this small remote cotton field, and that's where. James Madison Sr. Senior first saw her. Hmm. And, yeah, and as the story goes, it's, you know, because she could pick cotton so fast that he became attracted to her. I think it was a lot more than that. But anyway, he became attracted to her. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, and the result of his attraction, if you want to call it that, was the birth of a daughter, and that daughter was Corrine. And it was Corrine who then had the relationship with James Madison Jr., the person who would become the uh, fourth president of the United States. And when you were researching her, I mean, I would imagine when she became a mother she must not have been that old, right? She must have been raped by him. Yes, yes. And, you know, she must, yeah. she must have just been but a little some, teenager, right? Yeah, she was probably, yeah, like I said, I, I, I don't know her age, but, but she was young. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a young teenager. Right, right. And do you know how they were treated? Um, do you know much about that, the research you did to find out how they were treated? When you say they... Meaning you, she and her daughter, yeah, 
she yes oh okay well mandy remained in the field she remained a field slave but corinne was taken to work in the kitchen which would give her better treatment right right and better food i would imagine better yeah better food yeah better clothing yeah so, so she was Corinne was a house slave, which was a, a more. I, I'm going to use the word upscale, very <laughs> broadly, because it's really relative. Right, right. But it, right. It, 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 being a, a house slave was a lot less brutal than being a field slave. Right. So you know, c- growing up and having the opportunities that you had, and the education that you had, and the life that you had. How did you deal with all the violence and the brutality and all that you researched to find out what the inhumanity of of all of this going on? How did that affect you? Well, you know, I think it helped me grow as a person. So my my father was a doctor. My mother was a teacher. You know, we were strongly middle class, own our own home, our own cars, all that. Right. And, um, I, you know, I lived a very protected, sheltered uh, existence. And so I was really missing a lot of my heritage. And so as I traveled to places where Mandy had probably been I became more understanding of who I who I am, you know, because what she experienced, what Mandy experienced in particular, and Corrine also experienced, helped helped shape helped shape me. So I just have a fuller understanding of how I came to be the person that I am now. Like Mandy. Uh, taught her daughter and passed it on to be fighting mad. So that's the fight for your your own humanity, fight for yourself, fight for what you believe in. And so I was able to inherit that and and fortitude. Yeah, doing the research. Yes, after doing the research, I became more and more aware of what I had gained from her. Right. But it, you know, I mean, when I read things like that or when I read about the Holocaust, you know, which is similar, you know, that um, uh, yeah. and what they did taking babies and killing them. Of course, you know, they weren't, uh, I'm, I'm sure there were so many people that died on the on the trip over from Africa. So they were killing them. But I mean, a, a different kind of killing. When I read up about the Holocaust and all that, you know, man's humanity to men and women uh, I mean, it just makes me sick, and it makes me sick when I see the movies and read the books like you have about what these people had to endure. You just, I mean, what does it make you think about humanity? Well, it's very disappointing, to put it mildly. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't understand that level of, in humanity, I don't know if I understand any level of human inhumanity for that matter. Right. 
Well, especially you've been yeah. a doctor, a pediatrician, you know. You know, you're doing everything you can to raise these little babies to help the moms and dads raise their children to be healthy. And then you see yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, it just, I would imagine, you know, that that it it just struck your heart to read, to do that research. It must have been excruciatingly painful. Yes, and you, speaking of me having been a pediatrician, I've been retired now for right. six years, or six or seven. I lose count, but anyway, I'm retired. <laughs> Congratulations. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think about these mothers and their children, um, it, it, especially in Virginia, a lot of those children who were born uh, under slavery, actually sold away from their yes, their mother. Can you imagine being torn and, away from yeah. your mom and your mommy? Right. And your, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. This is this is, and 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 I wonder. You know, we've seen so much, like what happened with George Floyd this year, and 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 he isn't the oh. only one. The many many terrible things that have happened. Do you believe that the 1787 Constitution? really has contributed to what we've seen even just recently with the murder of George Floyd and others? Yes, I do. One thing, the Constitution refers to enslaved people as other persons, Mm. emphasizing the other. Right. They pretty much ignored the person's part, but the other part... uh, other, other, um, you know. Right, right. Is that it marginalized um, enslaved people. It denied them of the rights that are stated in the Constitution. And there's, so there's that clause. And then there are three other clauses that deal with their their fear, the, the, the framers, the framers of the Constitution's fear of enslaved, um, rebel, slave rebellion. Right, right. And, and so there's one clause that gives Congress to right, to, the right to suppress any slave group that dares to complain or rebel in any way against the the conditions that have been imposed on them. And there's another clause that gives the states the right to do the same thing. And then there's a third clause that denies um, people who rebelled any, any rights of any kind of legal protections the writ of habeas corpus and all that is denied only to this group of people. And so since ever since the Constitution, the rights of the, the full rights of the Constitution have been denied to black people, and black people have been seen as threats, yeah. thinking back to the days of when slaves would rebel against their conditions. Right. They, you know, they, they are African Americans are seen as lesser and seen as being having to be put in check. Right. And having less rights. And so, having less rights. Yeah. And we, we only have about a minute left. I just want to know what do you, do you think that all that has happened in, in, in the last 
year, two years especially, where all of this has really come to light. Do you have hope that there is now going to be a real change? I mean, we went through civil rights movement in the 60s, you know, when I was in college. And now we're going through another, I hope, um, transition. Do you have hope now as what's been going on recently and maybe even the new administration? Do you have hope? Oh, that is such a hard question because I want to have hope. But, you know, but what I see is, you know, we kind of make two steps forward and then we might take two steps back and we might take three steps back. You know, it's just sort of a constant struggle for the, the same thing. And just, you know, what happens in the at the Capitol on January 6th and right. how out of control that was and how that represents the feelings and mindsets of huge groups of, of Americans are just really, really discouraging. So I have my fingers crossed, but I'm cautious. Yeah. I'm, I, oh. I, I like to be an optimist. I keep thinking, you know, yeah. um, and that's why I was so excited to interview you and give you uh, a voice to be heard, at least on my show, you know. So anyway, we have to go. So just give, uh, I'll just say the name of your book again, The Other Madisons, The Lost History of a President's Black Family. And just give your website and it's time to go, Betty. The website is theothermadisons.com. Very good. Well, thank you so much. And we will yeah, let's stay in touch and have you back again for your next book, okay? Thank oh, you. thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Pleasure. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the web by Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning uh, for Privacy Piracy at 8 a.m. and visit our website, privacypiracy.org. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.